0: You're listening to the Acts How the Gospel Changes the World series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at MapleCityBaptistChurch.com. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to sing songs like that one that rejoices in your holiness, Lord, but then also understands that. For your holiness to be satisfied, the lamb had to be slain. And Lord, we thank you that we are the recipients of your salvation because of what you've done for us on the cross. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you'd help us to um, just quiet our hearts for a moment, to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd speak through your word. I pray that we would seek to know you better. Lord, help us to understand who you are. And in light of that, Lord, help us to see ourselves for who we are. Lord, give me freedom this morning. I pray that that the words that come out of my mouth will not be mine, but they'll be yours. I love you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our story this morning deals with a very uncommon example of what is actually a very common occurrence. And that is a case of mistaken identity. Uh, I was thinking about stories this week to illustrate what a mistaken identity is. And do you ever have that time when you start thinking about stories that happened to other people, and then you go to find out the details of the story, and you find out that it actually wasn't another person that that embarrassing thing happened to. It was yourself. That's what happened to me this this week. And so I was thinking about times in my past, and I guess it's been a lot of times, as I was thinking, that I have mistaken somebody's identity and got myself into an embarrassing situation because of it. The first one that came to my mind was just as a child running up to the wrong mother. And you know you run up and you give them this big hub, you grab their leg, and, and then you hear like giggling and this fear strikes you. And you look across the room and your mom is laughing at you. <laughs> and you look up and that's not your mom. And it's, it's, it's terrible as a child to go through that. <laughs> but then I started thinking about stories and I was like, oh yeah, this is a great story about my sister. And, and so I, was, I remember as a child a circumstance where we had people staying over at our house and... One of us, in the middle of the night, got out of our beds, crawled in with them, slept the rest of the night, and wet the bed. <laughs> I was positive it was one of my sisters that did that. It wasn't. It was me. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I think, I think the time where I remember feeling most embarrassed was a Christmas dinner that we were having at... Tara's house, I was sitting and and Tara was on one side and Tara's dad was on the other side and Tara's feet and, and my feet and her feet were on the, on the table, right? Like they're supposed to be. <laughs> Somehow, her dad got his feet all the way to the other side of the table where Tara's feet were supposed to be. <laughs> So I'm sitting there, giving Tara a little foot massage with my feet for the whole dinner. And he didn't tell me until the dinner was over. Oh. It was awful. So. Now you know everything there is to know that's embarrassing about me. In our story we're going to get into a less embarrassing but probably more serious case of mistaken identity. Um, We will see the importance, hopefully, of our identity and of knowing God's identity. We're going to focus on the identity of the Apostle Paul. Uh, If there are two things that we must know in this life, it is that we must know ourselves and we must know who God is. And so I think in this story we get a little picture of who we are and who God is we will discover that we have a God who wants to change our identity just like he did for the Apostle Paul. My prayer is that once again, as we examine Paul's life, we will see the amazing grace of God, the amazing power of God at work. So if you have your Bible, please turn them to Acts chapter 28, being the final chapter of the book of Acts. And of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 17 of them are devoted to the life of the Apostle Paul. There are so many lessons that we've learned over the last hundred plus lessons we've gone through Paul's life. And I'm sure there are many, many lessons we've missed. The fact is, Paul is just a wonderful example of what it means to be a Christian in so, so many ways. But I don't know if there's a better lesson that we can get from the Apostle Paul's life than his identity. And seeing how his identity was transformed by the power of God. And so in chapter 28, we're nearing the end of Paul's journey. Verse 1 says this, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Malta. Paul here has just been shipwrecked on this island called Malta. He's on his journey to Rome. And it's not so amazing that Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. The fact is Malta gets terrible storms all the time. Anson and Allison told me about them. And so ships do crash around and on that island quite often enough. But what is amazing about this story is how Paul got to where he is. When you think back about the Apostle Paul's life 20 years prior to this, he's a Pharisee and he's, he is the one leading the persecution against the church of Christ. He is the one that's dragging men and women out of their homes and dragging them and putting them into prison and separating families. He is the one authorizing the persecution, I mean, physical beatings and even death of other people. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy before he was transformed. And then it's amazing to see how he was transformed on the road to Damascus, how God saved him, showed him that Christ was God and that he needed him to save him. Then you follow Paul's life and he goes from this great persecutor of the church to this evangelist, this preacher, this missionary who travels the world preaching the gospel. It's such an amazing story of transformation. And, and so now we see Paul, and he's not the man he was 20 years ago. He is now the guy who's been planting churches and, and evangelizing places. And he's the one that now has stood trial five times defending his faith. And he's the one that's now on the way to Rome to stand before Caesar because he is tried with simply being a believer, being a Christian, believing exactly what we believe. This is the Apostle Paul, and it's amazing that he is now here. Let's see what happens in verse 2. It says, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled the fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And that verse is interesting because it says the barbarous people, which we would think of being barbaric, and then it describe somebody who is incredibly nice. And we usually wouldn't say like a barbaric action is to take a group of people who have just been shipwrecked and give them blankets and kindle a fire and take them into your homes and feed them. We wouldn't think of that as being a barbaric action, right? But back then when they thought of a barbarian, they were just simply referring to people who didn't, who weren't Greek or Roman. And what happened was, it's kind of interesting, um, the word barbarian is an onomatopoeia, which is a word that is it's created to mimic the sound of the word you're trying to describe, and so when they first, when the, when the Greeks first met these people, the people that didn't speak Greek, they all they heard when they were speaking was barbar, and they came from that. Okay, bar, barbar, barbar, barbarian, and that's what they called them. And so these people don't think of you know a barbaric person when you think of the Maltese. Think of a foreigner or a native of the land. That's all they are. And so they're incredibly kind. They take care of these people that they didn't even know. And the fact is, most of the people on this ship were criminals, yet they cared for them. Spoke about that a lot last week. Let's get into verse 3. It says And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. So here's the Apostle Paul, who's now been leading this group. He's kind of transformed himself into the leader through all these series of events. And yet he's the one that goes out and he gathers sticks. And so he's gathering sticks to get this fire going. And as he throws the sticks into the fire, because of the heat, a snake jumps out of the fire and fastens on his hand. The word for snake here, the word viper, is echidna. And the word echidna is only used by one other person in the Bible, and that is Jesus. Jesus used it four times throughout the Gospels. And he's always using it to refer to self-righteous religious hypocrites interesting that this is the venomous snake that they're afraid is going to kill Paul is what Jesus calls the self-righteous religious people, hypocrites. In fact, the last time he said it was in Matthew 23 verse 33. He said, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? That's Jesus. He's so nice. Well, some will point out that right now there are no fatally poisonous snakes known to live on the island of Malta. So what they'll say is, I was actually reading commentaries this week, and the one commentator said, oh, well, it was probably just a gardener snake, and they got it mixed up. There wasn't any poisonous snakes. Um, before we go, like, changing our Bibles, I think maybe we should see if there's any other possibilities. And I, I wonder if maybe the Maltese people didn't like the idea of poisonous snakes killing them all the time, and so they did whatever they could to get rid of them, and eventually they were able to get them off the island. You say, well, that would be very difficult. Yes, it would, but the Albertans did it with rats, right? They were able to, to rid all of the rats out of Alberta. So it's not that far-fetched to think that they would do that. Now there is none left. But back then, we see very clearly from the reaction of the Maltese people who lived there that there was poisonous snakes on the island. Verse number four says, that when the barbarians saw that the venomous snake hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So they see this all happen and they just assume that this is vengeance happening. This is justice happening. Now, depending on who published your Bible, the word vengeance will either be in small letters or in capital letters. It should be in capital letters because they were not just saying justice is being served. They were referring to a god named DK or justice, vengeance. They had a god and it was Zeus's daughter and her job was to view the affairs of mankind and then report when wrongdoings were done so that those wrongdoings could be punished. And so what they see happening here is that although Paul was somehow able to escape the sea, although he, he survived the shipwreck, now the goddess of justice, DK, is getting her vengeance. She is executing the law on the the Apostle Paul. And so that's what they see happening. They think that this is the goddess DK taking care of what should have been done earlier. Verse 5 says this, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. (laughs) Can we just pause for a second and recognize the awesomeness of the Apostle Paul here? <laughs> I thought about, I'm trying to picture these events as they happen, right? How many people here are, like, terrified of snakes? You can't stand, it. okay, good, keep your hands up, okay? How many people have, like, a healthier version to them? Put your hands up with those people, okay? Okay, all of the rest of you are crazy. <laughs> snakes are, I don't know what it is about them, the way they slither, they don't have hands, it's something, but They're scary, and this is Paul's reaction, right? I mean, he's it's in in the dark. He just put wood into a fire, and then this poisonous snake hiss and jumps out at you, and fastens on your hand, and it's clamped on your hand, and everybody's looking at you, and they're talking about how vengeance is getting its due, right? That's that's what's going on. He's hanging there with the snake, and then it says he (laughs) he brushes it off into the fire, right? I mean, can you imagine Paul not just what would you do? I'd freak out this snake comes out of the fire and fast in my hand, it's poisonous snake. I'm, I'm not going to be doing well then. And Paul is all Chuck Norris. He's like, <laughs> It's pretty cool. Anyways, shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. No problem. Verse 6, Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. It's a very interesting turn of events here because before they thought he was a murderer, but then they're, they're looking at him, they're looking at him, they keep looking at him, and eventually they see that, what's going on here? He's so cool about it, and then nothing happens to him. There's no change. He, he doesn't get all swollen. He doesn't start gasping for air. He doesn't die. This man is not a murderer. He is a god. Luke here has been given the task by the Holy Spirit to cover 30 years of church history on one scroll. And so he's giving a very abbreviated version of the story. And I kind of wish we would get more detail there. I kind of wish we knew what happened right after this. But we can kind of figure out what, how Paul's reaction would have been when they call him a god because we see the same thing happen in Acts chapter 14. When Paul is at Lystra and he heals somebody, and after he heals somebody, they start worshiping him and Barnabas as a god. And he says, don't worship me. We're the same as you. We're sinners just like you. You need to worship the God who's behind this power. That's what he does back in Lystra in Acts 14. I'm sure that's what he did here. And the rest of the story here we have finishes just explaining that the Maltese people took care of all of these men that Publius, the the most important and popular man of the city, took them into their home and took care of them for three days. and, And then for four months or so, they were... In Malta, they were being well taken care of by the people and the people sent them away with um, a ship and the ship full of goods. And so, I mean, a great example of the Maltese people of being kind, but what I want to do this morning is direct your attention to what I see as this case of mistaken identity. So from the text we see back in verse 4 that Paul is assumed to be a murderer is a valid assumption. First of all, because he was on a ship carrying criminals, but Even more so because of the fact that their goddess, D.K., was punishing him for his crimes. And so they just assumed, and it makes sense, that he was a murderer. But in verse 6, he seemed to be a god because only a god would be powerful enough to survive a viper bite. So who is right? Is Paul a murderer or is he a god? Well, my first inclination was to say no on both accounts. He wasn't. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a god. He's, He's neither one. Then I realized something that these Maltese people are not entirely incorrect. See, Paul was a murderer. He was. First time we see Paul is in Acts chapter 7. Remember what he's doing in Acts chapter 7? He's holding the coats of the people that are stoning Stephen to death. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He's the first one that gave his life to for the sake of the gospel. And he's just preached a wonderful sermon from the Old Testament showing that Christ was the Savior to come. He's the Messiah that, that has been prophesied. And after that, he finishes this wonderful explanation of the Old Testament and showing that Christ is the Messiah, a group of men pick up stones to stone him, to, to throw stones at his head until it caved his skull. And that, that's how they killed people. And Paul is the one there that's consenting to what's going on and holding their coat so they don't get dirty while they kill the guy. That's when we meet Paul. In Acts chapter 8, we hear in verse 3 that Paul is the one making havoc of the church and throwing men and women into prison. And then in Acts chapter 9, it says this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. See, here we have Paul, who back then is Saul, who is passionate about killing and persecuting Christians. He was a murderer. His own testimony before the Jewish mob at Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, said this, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Back then he might have been ignorant. He might have known all of what he was doing. He didn't know that he was actually going against the church of God. But he was still killing innocent people, innocent Christians. So Paul was a murderer. But then there's this twist in the plot line where we find out that, no, he's not actually a murderer anymore. That's what they believe, that he is a god. And why do they say that he is a god? Well, they say that he's a god because only a god had the power to survive the bite that he had. As I thought about that, I thought, yeah, okay, well, clearly Paul is not actually a God, but the reason they think he's a God is because they see the power of God in his life. And so, in a sense, they were right, because what they were doing is they were recognizing supernatural power in the life of the Apostle Paul. So he was not a God, but he was an ambassador of God. He was representative of God, and and God's power was working in and through his life. Paul lived not as a murderer, but as a man forgiven of his sin and empowered by God to be his ambassador here on earth. And so they weren't entirely wrong there either. And so you say, well, the, the text, the title of the sermon is supposed to be A Case of Mistaken Identity, but now you're saying there's not really that much of a mistaken identity, so where, what, what are we going to talk about? Well, I think there still was a mistake, case of mistaken identity in the text. And that comes when we look at how these Maltese people Viewed God. See, they thought God was the goddess Dk, and they had a, a pantheon of other gods. But in this text, the goddess Dk, and they saw God as a god of justice who would who would give the person what they were due, who would punish the, the crime. But they did not understand the God that Paul served, and so that's where we find, I think, this case of mistaken identity. The more I learned about this, the more I got excited. The more I thought about. What was going on here? How great a God we serve that would save this murderer like the Apostle Paul, would save him from his sin, forgive his sin, and then in his life have his power so evident that other people see his life and see God behind it. And then use this murderer who he saved to bring the gospel, the story of who he is, who God is, to other people. So they can hear the gospel as well. What a a wonderful God. This whole story is just God's orchestration of events so that these Maltese people will now hear about Christ. So what I want to do this morning is give you an application. We'll do this quickly. It'll be two identities and a mission. Two identities and a mission. The first identity is this. It's you. You need to know who you are. And I don't just mean know who you are, like do some self-reflection and and write down some good things about you. I mean, know who you are based on who God sees you as. Know who God thinks you are. Because who God thinks you are is a lot more important than who you think you are. If God exists, if he's the eternal God and and you're an eternal soul, eternal being, then knowing what God thinks is a whole lot more important than what we think. Because the truth is, I know for myself, I think wrong things about me all the time. Right? Right? Think I'm handsome? <laughs> I don't. But we, we're so good at, at deceiving ourselves. I'm sure you've looked at people before and, and seen them on television or seen them uh, and, and they think they're so great. I mean, they think they're the cat meow and they're not. And we're so good at deceiving ourselves. So we need to know what God thinks. Know who you are. We can hear the testimony of Paul and not once realize how much we have in common with him. Right We think of him as being just just remarkable sensational story, but his story is not that dissimilar from ours. He was a sinner in need of salvation, and God reached down from heaven and saved him and made him his child. That is Paul's story. We think about that. I mean we, we say, well, yeah, but Paul was really bad. he was a murderer. you said that already. Yeah, okay, but look at James chapter two, verse 11. Sorry, verse 10 it says. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, and he is guilty of all. What? You keep the whole law and you defend in one point? I mean, you do one thing wrong in your entire life and you're guilty of all? doesn't seem fair. doesn't seem right. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that it only takes one sin to make you a sinner. You break the law once and you're a sinner. He actually explains it in verse 11. He said, For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And, and that example makes perfect sense to us, right? You've broken the law if you killed somebody, even if you didn't commit adultery. Yes, okay, that person that killed but didn't commit adultery is still a sinner. They would agree with that. We would agree with that. But couldn't we insert some of the different commands? Because he's using two commands from the Ten Commandments. Couldn't we say, if you lied but you haven't killed somebody, you're still a sinner because you've broken God's command not to, to bear false witness. Right? Or if you've not loved God with all your heart, but you haven't stolen anything, you're still a sinner because you've not loved God with all your heart. We could go on the whole list and, and realize that we have broken God's commands. And then we realize that it's not just the physical actions that we do, but it's our heart, it's our motives, it's, it's what goes on inside of us that's, that matters, that God is not looking whether you just physically killed somebody, whether, but whether you've hated your brother without a cause. I mean, we find ourselves guilty, just like the Apostle Paul. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul needed salvation because he was a sinner. And God, who is perfect and holy, will punish all sin. See, it's amazing to me that these Maltese people, they didn't know God. But they did know that justice should be served. I think their view of who DK was, who this goddess was, was in part a reflection of God's law written on their hearts. And it seems like we all have this. Even atheists, when you talk to them, they have this moral guide, this idea that killing an innocent life is a wrong thing to do right? Well, where does that come from? I think it comes from the same place the Maltese people had it that they knew that murder should be punished. The problem is we don't go far enough. We pick people that are much worse than us and then we say, well, those people should be punished. Yeah, but God is perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. His standard is way higher than ours. We've all come short of it. So rather than using our own standard to judge who is going to heaven or hell, maybe we should look at God and what he says. When we do that, we find ourselves in a very similar position. In fact, the same position as the Apostle Paul. And so we must know who we are. To truly know your identity, you must know how God sees you. The good news is you are loved not because you are valuable, not because you are good. You are valuable because you are loved. So identity number two, we must know, is who God is. There was a new minister that came to serve at the church of a Scottish man named Thomas Carlyle. You might, you might know that name. And the minister asked Carlyle what the parish needed most. And the famous reply, writer replied, Sir, this parish most needs a man who knows God. Other than by hearsay. See, we know about God. We know some facts about God. We know a little bit of what the Bible says about God, but we must know who God is. We must know Him. God is holy. You must know that. Just like DK, He does punish sin. He is just and righteous. He is good in the truest sense of the word, perfectly good, a good judge. But God is also a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness, of amazing grace, of abundant mercy. And we see both of those things here in this story for us. We see that so clearly in the apostle's life, that he would take a guy who was such an awful, terrible sinner, who deserved his condemnation, and then send his son to die in his place. So the apostle Paul could now be free, could now be made righteous, and could now go out and serve him. We must know who God is. To know God is the most important thing in the world. And the God of the Bible will judge sin, but the God of the Bible loves to save sinful people. He died to save Paul. He died to save the Maltese people here. And he died to save you. 17th century mathematician and Christian philosopher from France, Blaise Pascal, said this, Not only do we know God except through Jesus Christ, We do not even know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. I think that's a brilliant statement. You will never know God until you know Christ. And you'll never even know yourself truly until you know Christ. The good news is that you can know him today. You must know yourself. You must know who God is. Finally, that's two identities, one mission. Go tell somebody. That's what Paul did right? That's what's going on in the story. Paul knew those two things. He learned who he was when Christ met him on the road to Damascus. He learned who God was that day. And from that point on, he made it his mission, the mission he was given by God, to tell people. It's pretty simple. We could all do it. So let's just just do it. Let's start telling people. D.L. Moody said this about Moses. He said Moses spent 40 years in the king's palace thinking that he was somebody. Then he lived 40 years in the wilderness finding out that God that without God he was a nobody, and finally he spent 40 more years discovering how a nobody with God can be a somebody. That is the story of scripture. We must know who we are and we must know that we're sinners, and in ourselves there's nothing good. But when we know Christ, when we find out who God is then we can be a somebody because it's not us living now. It's the power of Christ living through us. And so when I say go tell somebody, you might think, well, I'm not qualified. No, I I can't do it. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. We have a, a number of excuses. So did Moses. The point is not whether you think you're qualified. The point is, is Christ in you? Do you know him as your savior? Because if you do, you have what you need to start going and telling people. Paul was on a mission here. It led him to the Maltese people. He got to share the gospel with the Maltese people. And do you know that the, even now today in Malta, there are places that, re, that recognize what St. Paul did in his life, in their lives, what he, that he brought the gospel. He's the first one to, to start a church on Malta. See, Paul was on a mission. We should be too. We ought to take the gospel that we can celebrate here and, and sing here. I hope you paid attention to the songs. They're wonderful songs this morning. And I was, I was listening to the songs, Holy, Holy, Holy is Lord God Almighty. Over and over again, it was like the, those songs were, they're the gospel, they're for this message. But we should take the songs that we celebrate here outside the walls. We don't have to go to Malta. We can tell our mom or our brother or our cousin or uncle or coworker or friend or teacher, or coach, or teammate. I mean, find somebody. We all have people we can tell. We ought to be on mission like Paul was. Go tell somebody. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he's absolutely right. You must know who God is. And when you do, you must tell people i tell you the second most important thing that comes into our minds is what we think about ourselves. And we ought to think about ourselves what God thinks about us. If you don't know God, I beg you to see your sin. To see how God sees you. To repent and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. That's what Paul did and we are not so different than him. And if you do know Christ, see yourself as an ambassador who is on a mission. Let's pray.